0: Lord, just thank you for this day and everything that you've given us, God. We just pray that as we come to you throne the day, Lord, that you would speak to our minds, our hearts, you would encourage us, uplift us, God, and that you would take your word in this message and let it be yours in our lives. That it would just not stay here today, but it would affect how we think and how we talk and how we act for the rest of our lives, God. We just thank you for Down on the Cross and for the immense love that you have showed us, God. Be with those who aren't able to be here and keep them safe, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So, most of us, if you look at the icon above my head, are familiar with this, which is an eye test. Most of us have, have been to the optometrist at some point in our lives. And we have had to do that eye test and see if, if we can see or we can't see. But this one, it spells out, reset your vision. And that's a very important truth in our lives, that it matters what we see. Or it matters also what we think we see. There's a, a lady and a, a cat, an elderly lady and a cat. And their names are not told to protect the innocent. But this 88-year-old lady had the sweetest, sweetest old cat you ever seen in your life. And it was one night, late at night, she heard it scratching, scratching at the door, come back inside. So she said, you know, I need to go let my cat in. So she gets up, she goes to, to the door, she lets her sweet little cat in, she sits on the couch. But then at that exact moment, she discovers it's not her cat. It's a raccoon. And the raccoon starts to bite her, starts to scratch her. And luckily, she got away, got, went to the hospital, got treated for her wounds. But this lady thought this raccoon was her cat. So she let the raccoon in. So that is a problem of perception. And see, a lot of times as as our life goes on, we let a lot of stuff in that really shouldn't be let into our lives. We let a lot of stuff go on that really shouldn't be going on because we have the wrong perception of what it really is. And over time, we let that which does not belong in our life become the norm, become The everyday existence. And the funny thing about life is when we fall from where we're at, oftentimes it becomes normal to accept that reality. To say to ourselves that there is no hope, that this is the way it is. And it got that way because we had a perception problem, and we let something in that wasn't supposed to be in. So, if you would turn with me today to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter two, verses seventeen through twenty. In Nehemiah 7, two seventeen, it says, "Then said I unto them, <coughs> Ye see the distress." that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come and let us build up the wall of Jerusalem, that we be no more a reproach. So first we find that we have to shift our eyes upon God's heart. And as we read this verse, Nehemiah has arrived in Jerusalem and, and he is secretly at night time assessed the damage that was done. Cause he wanted to see how bad it really was. So he assesses the damage and he comes before the people in, in verse 17. And you know, the, the amazing thing about this is that they were there every day. Like these people they, they were in broken down destroyed Jerusalem every single day for decades. Nehemiah was miles away in a in a king's palace perfect situation and he comes back and it's not the people that are there every day who are going to restore the the nation of Israel and the, the city of Jerusalem, but it's Nehemiah. And I think we can find that the reason is because Nehemiah was in a palace in a foreign land. And see, Jerusalem was supposed to be special, it was supposed to be important, it was supposed to be a representation of God's people who belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so if you belong to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then you would expect That your city and your palace and the place that you reside would be of the utmost excellence. That no expense would be spared. That compared to other kingdoms, other palaces, other temples, that it would far surpass that. But unfortunately, as we look at this, Nehemiah is calling to their attention saying, Do you see the distress... That we are in. Do you see this? And obviously, Nehemiah knew. Yes, they had seen the distress that they were in. But the problem was that when they saw it yesterday and the day before, and, and the week before, when they saw it that time, they considered it okay. Like that. That's fine. That's good. That That's okay. But Nehemiah is calling them back to realize who they are, to realize who they belong to. And as we look in verse 17, there's a word there. It says that we be no more a reproach. Now, there's a lot of things that we want to be in life, a lot of things I want to be in life, but I... Don't think being a reproach is on the list. But Jerusalem was a reproach. In other words, it was a disgrace to God. It was a disgrace to God. The condition of the city of Jerusalem was a disgrace.
1: Because here was
0: people that were supposed to belong to the Lord. The city of the king of kings and lord of lords and the entire city was in turmoil. The gates were destroyed so enemies could come in as as they liked. The temple was destroyed. The city was in rubble. And the Jerusalem that the world seen with their eyes was not a representation and not at all a good picture of the God who delivered Israel from Egypt. And that was the thing. Nehemiah was telling them that, do you remember how you got here? Do you remember how years ago when you were first born as a nation, that you were nobody? Like you were nobody. You didn't have any land. You were a a foreigner. You you were a pilgrim. You, You had nothing. And then I tell him, you know, God, God went to extreme lengths to save you. He went to extreme lengths to deliver you as a nation. Like He did not pull any punches. He did not be, make available anything, but He did everything in His power and took Israel as two people who were didn't didn't have children. To a nation that has so many people that they're more than the stars in the sky and the sands and, and on the seashore and gives them this wonderful land and then they forget about the God who did that for them and then God punishes them and see the right response would be they repent and they rebuild and they work towards being a people, a nation, a city, that when the foreign nations and people without God seeing them, they would be seeing a picture of an excellent and mighty and rich God. But Nehemiah is saying, like, this is not going to work. If you want to be with God, and if you remember how hard God worked for you, compared to how hard you're not working for God, you're, you're a disgrace. You're a reproach. And so Nehemiah was calling them back to who they were and to understand that he had been away for, for years. But out of all the people that, that seen the gates broken down every day, that's seen the temple broken down, they seen the, the city in turmoil, turmoil, not one of them raised their hand to do something about it. And the reason is because they chose to accept that as normal, as the way things are. But Nehemiah chose to accept things the way God wanted them to be. And his desire, his desire... Was to make Jerusalem, to make the city of Jerusalem and Israel a people that reflected a rich and mighty and wonderful God who is the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, I love going to the beach. You know, most of us can say that we like going to the beach. You get to go to the beach, you get a beach house. You go on the, on the seashore, you get to feel the sand and the water and the sun. It's a wonderful experience. Most of us don't have a beach house, but if I had a beach house, that would, that would be good. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would love to have a beach house. And if I had a beach house, I would put all kinds of windows in it, okay? Because I would buy the best place on the beach, not, not just one that's a block away, but I would buy the best spot on beachfront property. I mean, I would go all out. Well, see, there's this, this Jewish couple that moved to San Diego, and they had a premier beachfront property. I'm talking this thing cost millions of dollars for just a small piece of real estate. Didn't, didn't even have a house on it. So they began searching for an architect to build this this dream home, and they had a beautiful view that they could see out there and, and look at the beach and the ocean and the waves. So they find an architect, and and he begins to brainstorm, to come up with a couple drawings for their first meeting. So he comes up with this drawing of this beautiful beach house, has all these windows, So they can look out across the ocean. They can see the waves coming in. They can see the beautiful sunset. And as he comes to that that first meeting, and meets with his couple, he shows them the plans. And he says, I know you want to look at the beach. I know you want to be able to see the sunsets and enjoy the fruits of your labor. So this, this is the plan that I have for you. And then... We gotta admit, sometimes people are strange. You know, they're weird. And this lady was one of the weird types. So she sees the plans, and then she tells him, "I'm really into Feng, feng Shu, and I can't have that window there, or all the energy will go out of my feet and through the window." Now, is that not the most ridiculous thing you ever heard in your life? So they have spent millions on this beachfront real estate to have the view, and they're getting this architect to build a house that they can see the view, and they end up they end up putting gypsum board instead of a window. So when they look at their wall. That million dollar view that they paid for, that's that's not what they get to see. They get to they get to see the view of gypsum board all day long. Now that to us would seem ridiculous. Crazy. But if we were to be honest with ourselves, we have not just valuable, but we have the most valuable resource available to us today. And that is being able to be in touch with the heart of God. And see, the thing is, it was very expensive in that God, God decided he would sacrifice, kill his son so that we could have that view. So that we could come before him in prayer, so that we could have a relationship with him, and so that when we take our last breath, that we can see with our own eyes the riches of heaven. But see, the thing is, unfortunately, in our lives, we're kind of like Israel, and we're kind of like Jerusalem. And even though we have this wonderful God and this wonderful Savior, and even though God did not pull any punches so just to get to us, I mean, nothing held back. Oftentimes, even though we have that relationship with God and we have the most wonderful view in the world, when the world looks in on us, That's not what they see. And have you ever thought about, have you ever thought about that people don't see God? Like they can't go somewhere and see God physically sitting in a seat. But what they can see is me and you. What they do see is what we talk about. How we spend our money how we spend our lives. And see, we have to ask ourselves the question, are we a disgrace to God? Is the way that we are framing God in our lives, allowing people to be able to see into the beauty of heaven And into a savior who did everything in his power to save us. Or are we putting up. A gypsum board wall. And showing them. Everything else. But Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves. When we look at how great a length God has gone for us. Have you ever thought about that? How great of length God has gone so that he can spend time with us not only now, but in eternity. In other words, think about the great chasm between here and now and where God is. But God traveled that distance and put his life of his son on the altar So that he could spend time with us. Because he loves us. So dearly. And so what we have to to ask ourselves. Knowing that fact. Knowing that people see. Our relationships. Knowing that they see our church. Knowing that they see us. In the world. Our home. Wherever we're at. Knowing that. We have to ask ourselves the question, are we giving the world a picture that is worthy of a savior that did that? Are we giving them a picture of a relationship that is worthy of a savior who gave it all? Are we giving them a picture of church that is worthy of the king of kings who is rich? in mercy, in treasure, in glory, in praise. And are we having an attitude of excellence? Or are we having an attitude of the people of Jerusalem before Nehemiah came along and said, you know what, this is how far we've fallen, but it's okay. It's all right. Because see, all God is looking for is somebody that is willing to portray his heart to the world. But we can't portray his heart to the world if we never focus on his heart. And so are you or I a disgrace to God in our portraying of him to the world in the way we do our relationships, in the way we carry ourselves, in the way we talk, in the way that we do church. Because oftentimes we're very concerned about our heart and not as concerned about God's heart. And we forget that we really can't do anything. Anything it takes to show people God because Jesus did everything and anything it took to get a hold of our hearts. So if you would look with me in the next verse here, it says Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, as also the king's words that he had spoken unto me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. Second, we have to shift our eyes upon God's hand. Now, as we read the book of Nehemiah, you have, to, you have to have some respect for the man. Because think about how hard it is to get a group of people together and going in one direction and doing something they haven't done for years. That's basically what Nehemiah was doing here. But notice what Nehemiah says. He doesn't come in here and he says, say, people, you're worthless. I mean, you're absolutely worthless, hopeless. There's no hope. You should see the palaces in these foreign lands. It's not what he does. But he comes, and after he says, do you see how great a distress you're in? Do you see how much of a disgrace you are to God? After that, he tells him this. He says, you know what? You see where we're at, but I'm going to tell you what God is doing. And M I is an example of that. He didn't have it all together. Like, he did not wait to leave the palace until he had everything he needed. But he understood as long as, as he was listening to what God wanted him to do, it didn't matter if he had it then. It didn't matter what he didn't have. All he needed was God's direction. And when God was directing him that God would provide for him what he needed to accomplish, what God was calling him to do. So Nehemiah tells the people, like, hey, we can do this. Like, this does not have to be the reality of Israel. It does not have to be fallen. But it can find its way back to a city, a place, a temple worthy of praise. And he says, I know this can happen because of what God has done. And now he has provided for me along the way. Because see, these people were discouraged. They were depressed. Because there was a time when they were built And they were going forward. But the same king who sent Nehemiah to this place is the same king who stopped construction, who made them stop. So Nehemiah says, I I have good news. And that good news is that I have the king's word that, that we can do this. And what do the people say? So they strengthened their hands for this good work. They listened to Nehemiah because they understood that they had what they needed to accomplish the task at hand. But even more so, Nehemiah understood it wasn't the king's word that mattered so much. It really wasn't any of the materials that he had acquired. But Nehemiah understood that the most important aspect of this whole process was that he had the approval and direction of God. And he knew if he had the approval and direction of God, it didn't matter what the king said. It didn't matter what the people said. Because God would give him what he needed to complete, complete this, this work. So we have to understand the importance in our lives. See, Nehemiah was a man of faith in what God could do. And he did not restrict his goals and his end results based on what he had now. The apostle Paul says something in Ephesians 1 7. He says, according to the riches of his grace. And and this is good news because he didn't say out of his riches. Okay, so there's a difference. Out of his riches would be like a millionaire giving one dollar in the offering plate. Now, if you got a million dollars and you give one dollar in the offering plate, you know, you probably need to look at your giving f- philosophy. But God does things according to his riches. And when he does things according to his riches, that means... All of it is available. All of it is available. And then I didn't know the, the future. And last week we talked about how the mission determines where we put our resources and treasures. But this week we have to understand something about the blessings that God gives us. And that is that if we let... The inventory of our lives, whether that be our time, the amount of money we have in the bank, or whatever it may be, if we let those be the restraints of where we're trying to go, and if we let our dreams be restricted by that, then we're never going to get off the ground. We're never going to take that, that next step. And we have to understand that the way God works is he, when he gives us direction, when we become aligned with him, the first step is to say yes, like Nehemiah I did. And then we have to take a second step and a second step and a third and a fourth and a fifth. And it goes on down the line and we don't get it all at once. But a lot of times we want to plan on what we have now, once, right now. And that is an option that we have. But if we do that, we are selling ourselves short of how great we could be, of how great God could work in our lives. And the great thing about being aligned with God and going in His direction is that as needs arise, he fills them. As problems arise, he can can squash them. One of the most comforting things that we should have in our life is the truth that when you look at the hands of Jesus Christ, And you gaze upon those hands, and there are two, uh, a nail hole in, in each hand. That is a signal, an object of truth that tells us and should tell us that God is willing to not hold a single thing back for what he wants to do in his life. And if he was willing to kill his son and sacrifice his son, then if we are doing what he wants us to do, we can be assured that he will provide for the, what we need to get to the future that he wants us to be in. So the question we have to ask ourselves today is, have we forgotten God's hands? Have we forgotten about the the nail-scarred hands of Jesus that tell us we don't have to have right now to get to where we want to be? Because if Jesus, if God didn't hold back his son, he's not going to hold back anything. So are me and you cheating us out of a great future because we are restricting what we're going to do today by what we have today. Because if we do that, we're never going to get to where God wants us to be. We're never going to see God work mightily in our lives, in our churches' lives, and in the lives of the community. And so, I ask you today: what about what about right now? What what is your attitude toward God's hand are you going off of what's right now are you going off of what he has told you if we look in the next couple verses here it says but when Sanballat the hornite and Tobiah the servant the Ammonite and Geshem the Arabian heard it they laughed us to scorn and despised us and said what is this thing that you do Will ye rebel against the king? Then answered I them and said unto them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build, but ye have no portion, nor right, nor memorial in Jerusalem. So lastly, we have to shift our eyes upon God's word. And as we look at these last couple of verses, we find the, the truth of the century. That is true no matter how many more years pass, it's always going to happen. And, and this is what it is. Think about what Nehemiah is doing here. Think about what he is uh, attempting to be a part of God working in, in this nation. So these people have been walking around for decades lost, saying it's okay when it's not really okay. And all of a sudden Nehemiah comes in here, encourages them, and, and they decide that they want to become worthy of the God who, who did what he did for them. And the truth of the matter is, which we find in 1920, when anybody and any one of us try to do this, what Nehemiah is attempting to do, this is always going to happen. Somebody is going to say, what is this thing that you do? Why would you rebel? Why would you go against the grain? So how does Nehemiah respond to this, this, this accusation? He said... And to them, the God of heaven, he will prosper us. Nehemiah understood it. He didn't really need these guys. That this was a very small minority. They didn't have a place in Israel. They didn't have a place in Jerusalem. And he understood his trust was not in his ability, but in the ability of God. And he told these guys, you know what? For a long time, it's not been okay, but we've been saying it's okay. And today we're deciding that this is is going to be different. And that God will build us back up again. That he will bless us. But we have to trust God. And we have to step out there on faith. And Nehemiah knew that. And he knew that God's word mattered, not these people's. Now, there was a child, and he didn't speak. It took him three years after he was born, three years old, until he uttered his first word. Three years. It took him several more years until he could speak fluently and have a conversation with people. On top of that, he could not read. Until he was seven years old, seven years old in elementary school, he struggled with his, with his classes. And a lot of people, his teachers included, suspected that he was retarded. That they really did not think that he had the capability to survive. Some of them, I think, even told him that, you know, you're not going to make it. This is not working out for you. So a lot of people just didn't believe he was going to succeed. I mean, just did not believe that he had a future. In fact, he took the entrance exam after he finally passed school to go to college. And he flat failed it. So he had to try again. And then he tried again and he, he got in. And then after he finally graduated college, he was going to get his doctorate. But they they rejected him, said that he was irrelevant and too much. Now, this kid, this, this fella, a lot of people said, you know, It's not going to work out. There's a possibility you're retarded. But now, all of us, all of us know who Albert Einstein is. I mean, you know know Albert. I mean, he's, he's a smart guy. He's a theoretical physicist. And that's what we have to understand. In our lives, in our Christian lives, in our relationships, in our church, wherever we're at, see we're gonna hear these voices here. Like they're gonna be there to squash progress. Like literally. There's always gonna be critic, there's always gonna be a voice saying that it's just it's not gonna work out. It's it's not, can't be done. Don't have this, don't have that. It's impossible. But see, this is very important to understand. If we want to get back to where we were, to our former glory, to a life that is worthy of praise, to a relationship that's worthy of praise, to a church that's worthy of praise, to a community that's worthy of praise once again, when these voices creep up, voices of discouragement, voices saying that It's not a good idea. It can't be done. You don't have the ability. You don't have the funds. You don't have this. We have to understand that if we listen to those voices, we'll never get back there. We'll never find worthy of praise ever again. And so I would challenge us two things. Lastly for this, don't, don't be that guy, okay? Don't. Don't be Tobiah and don't be these, these people
1: who when Nehemiah
0: was trying to bring Jerusalem back equal with who God was, criticized and said that's, that's never going to work. We can't do that. But also in, in your life, in your Christian walk, in your in your church, our church, to make sure that when those voices creep up, we don't allow that to make us quit. Because you know the funny thing about quitting is, if you keep going, you may fail. You may fail miserably. Like, I'm talking just no hope whatsoever. I mean, just reckless. But the thing is, If you quit, you don't know. Like, I mean, you could have been the best there is for all you know. And so these people have robbed you of what God wants to do. So I challenge us this morning. From these last verses, number one, not, not to be the critic guy. Not to be the one that squashes any hope of getting back out and also to simply not quit when those voices creep out from the crowd because oftentimes those voices are not a part of the majority. they're a boy they're, they're a part of the minority. And if we start to give up, see they can sense that, and their opinion begins to become the truth and begins to affect other people. So as we've looked at Nehemiah chapter two verses seventeen through twenty, we find that the way we see things affects affects our lives. We see that. Nehemiah was listen to the word of God. And I'm not good at, at painting, but words can create pictures. And the hurtful words of, of these individuals, if Nehemiah would listen to them, you know what kind of picture that would create it? Not the one that happened. The one that, the, the way It was. And so when we start to doubt ourselves, when we start to get discouraged and feel like quitting, we have to listen to the Word of God. And when I say Word of God, I don't just mean the Bible. I mean, like, what is God telling you to do? Like, what is God leading you to do in the direction that He is leading you to go? As long as He's telling you, it don't matter what anybody else thinks, really. Because I don't know if you've noticed this about human beings, but now, their words are good sometimes, but sometimes they, you just can't count on them. But God, He's always, always can count on Him. You can count on Him so much that His words literally created the light that you will see once you walk out of this church. So when He tells you something, and when He leads you to do something, you can not worry. So we need to ask ourselves the question, what do we see? How do we see? Do we see the great distress that we're in? And if we see the great distress that we're in, then we also see the great Savior that can and will rescue us from where we're at. So as we have this invitation in the music place, I challenge you to ask yourself the question, have you made the decision that where you're at is not okay? That you are in distress, that you are not where you should be? And number two, have you chosen to look to a great Savior who can bring you back? to a life worthy of praise that you once had.